Hey, uh, Aaron, hold on. Before we start, I, I need to just kind of like eat this breakfast real quick. Yeah, not a problem, man. We got time. Yeah, yeah. Um, what the fuck is that? Derek, is that baby food? Uh, I'm not schizophrenic, epileptic, or stoned, Aaron. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to uh, our new episode of Watch If You Dare, where we are going to be covering one of the most insanely delightful movies that we will probably ever talk about on this show. Dario Argento's Phenomena, a.k.a. Creepers. Is this our first Argento as well? This is our first Argento, and I have kind of a reason why we're picking this one rather than the other, like, five maybe more qualified movies. But yeah, to join us, cashing in on the promise to come back for this episode, we have <laughs> James Hales back on again. Babene! <laughs> Might as well sound Italiano. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're on because you were first on our Phantasm episode, which may as well just be like an Italian horror movie. Now that I'm starting to get the themes and the way these movies are dressed, that feels like an Italian horror movie. And I think I said that on the other episode you were on, which was The Beyond, which was our first Fulci. And now this is our first Argento. I am happy to have you back on for these movies. Oh yeah, nothing like the Italians. Hell yeah. Well, uh, let's get moving. Let's talk about some recommendations. Let's actually just start with you, James. Have you got any recommendations or things that you've watched recently? You mentioned during the uh, inclement weather in Texas, you chugged through a giant chunk of Law & Order, which uh, sounds pretty pretty great in my opinion especially if it's early law and order but yeah did you check out like any uh horror related stuff during that time i actually went through a, a fair amount of found footage interesting okay. so it, it was just watching a couple of things and uh there's a found footage group on facebook that i'm actually a part of which in being a part of that group i realized that there's a bunch of films i've missed and i watched this well, there's three movies to it now, so a trilogy. There's this film called The Fear Footage, and there's The Fear Footage 2, and then there's The Fear Footage 3 a.m., which closes it out. I went through The Fear Footage and The Fear Footage 2, because the third one hadn't been released by that point. And I mentioned this on one of the previous episodes I was on about Hell House LLC and that trilogy. Yeah. How it was very effective, despite being insanely low budget. The Fear Footage, I don't do jump scares as far as I don't have jump scares but the fear footage gave me a couple of jump scares and I don't think they were meaning to <laughs> and I was like well what the fuck yeah <laughs> um, it was creepy as shit again the effects were not it, it wasn't like hey let's get super Hollywood makeup artists makeup effects creature effects to do all of this it was just literally if the three of us went down to Party City or Spirit during Halloween got some stuff <laughs> something together started recording and went from there there were a couple of things that were kind of like oh, okay yeah, this is kind of hokey but then the majority of it just caught me off guard found footage is not everybody's you know cup of tea but yeah. at the same time I, I always try to tell people take found footage just for a second the fear footage kind of like hell house llc was very basic very raw, so it had that feel of realness to it. Okay. On the fear footage, I had to go and research it too. Everything was filmed in Maryland. Everybody was from Maryland. Having been to Maryland, it is very, very Maryland-esque. 
they're not necessarily these super trained guided actors. So it's just, they're real reactions. There's a lot of shit I could say, but I would say if you go on Prime, uh, I think right now it's just for rent and I rented it myself. Watch the first one or the second one or well, watch both of them and see how you go along with that. Okay. See if you like it. The only other things I've been into, got into the new Mars Attacks comic, or fairly new Mars Attacks comic, and also the Pumpkinhead comic. Pumpkinhead's good. Yeah. The Pumpkinhead one caught me off guard. Who puts it out? Like, is it a Boom or... Dynamite. Dynamite does. Okay. Dynamite. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mentioned this a while back on one of our previous episodes. Cullen Bunn wrote it. Yes. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Hell yeah. Yes. It has a couple of really legit good guys, but everybody else is a bad guy, quote yeah. unquote. And then you have Pumpkinhead with other demons. It's not going to spoil it, but it's awesome. Yeah. Think like Seven, where... If Pumpkinhead is the demon of wrath, there is also a demon of gluttony and right. sloth and all of the other seven deadly sins. And uh, they all have their own unique designs and motives and everything else. It's pretty rad. It was one of those ones where we're snowed in and I'm like, well, shit, what am I going to look at? <laughs> uh, and I remember all of the comics based on horror films. And then uh, I ran across the Hills Have Eyes one for the remake unit universe quote-unquote of the hills have eyes and i was like i'm not reading this shit (laughs) (laughs) i didn't realize that they made a comic series off that oh dear god yes they did and (laughs) i I got into maybe the first couple of pages and i was like "Ah," because i have my own issues with that particular film but yeah and then from there just cycled through when you talk about found footage i watched the movie host which was the covid lockdown uh, Skype seance demon comes after us film. And yeah. that was actually pretty well done. And it was, I was impressed by how it was set up and the actual flow that it had and the fact that it actually used COVID and our current situation more so back then a year ago to actually make this film and make it effective. Yeah. So that, yeah. that, that was really good. I mean, that's pretty much about all I've been doing in terms of that. Hell yeah. Cool. Cool. Derek, what have you got? I also will start off with a comic kind of going back to one that I know I've recommended on our show before ice cream man, um, written by W Maxwell Prince. If you haven't listened to our past episode where I recommended the series prior, I recommend the whole series, but there is a specific issue. It's really a collection. The team behind the Ice Cream Man put out, specifically for COVID, actually. What the Ice Cream Man is, is it's these stories of horror, and they're kind of just genre-defying horror. Sometimes it's more cosmic. Sometimes it's more supernatural. Sometimes it's more just like the horror of everyday life that's that's something that prince himself really can capture with a, a lot of the writing that i've read of his where you know just the idea of a failing marriage with two kids that are like seven years old and your job is going to hell and you don't know if you'll make the next bill payments yeah but then in the backdrop of all this is this entity called the ice cream man who is sort of like pennywise but a lot more man- manipulative than pennywise kind of like a cross between pennywise and maybe Freddie 
Freddy Krueger, where he's not even necessarily trying to kill anyone, although that happens a lot. He's more trying to like feed off of people's despair. He's more of just this force of chaos. Um, maybe kind of like Killer Bob, actually, from Twin Peaks. He just makes situations worse and kind of points out how messed up everyday life can be. And that's the type of stuff you're dealing with with the Ice Cream Man, the series itself. It's one of the best horror comics coming out right now. But what I wanted to specifically recommend was Ice Cream Man Presents Quarantine Comics Special. <laughs> oh, God. What it is is the team behind the Ice Cream Man in the early days of the quarantine, actually, like I, I don't know exactly what months they did this, maybe back in March and April. It was an online only series with mini comics that were just set in the Ice Cream Man universe. And they just put out these small stories and they did it to help like raise money for like struggling comic shops during uh, the quarantine. But then Image put out a printed collection of all the short stories in this one-off issue. Okay. Um, so it's extra sized comic book. Has all these little mini stories in it and they're all based around like quarantine and like the idea of choice and just kind of dealing with isolation and everything and in classic maxwell prince fashion ice cream man fashion a lot of these stories are pretty bleak and a lot of them like are a commentary on how like we kind of fucked this whole quarantine up as americans at least we made things a lot worse for ourselves but the other thing i do enjoy is that there are a couple stories that have bittersweet maybe hopeful notes that they end on so it's not all just despair there is a lot of despair don't get me wrong a lot of horrific despair but there's also a little bit of hope in some of these stories as well one of my personal favorite like mini stories in this which i shared with you aaron and i won't get into too many details about it because i don't want to like spoil it but it was basically like a twisted version of Animal Crossing. Yes, you sent me that. <laughs> it was very much a commentary on how Animal Crossing was super popular in the like first half of the quarantine because it just like kind of came out right at that time when we were all isolated to the point where people who don't normally play Animal Crossing, like yourself, Aaron, like put hours into it. So yeah, check out Ice Cream Man Quarantine Comics Special. It is top-notch horror. Ice Cream Man is, again, one of the best series out there right now. Everything I've read by Prince is very Americana, pointing out the dark underbelly of like suburbia America, but like doing it in a very competent horror creepy manner so yes highly recommend that moving on from ice cream man kind of stepping into the realm of video games this is sort of a recommendation but also maybe a setup for uh, leading into the movie we're doing today which granted i know aaron that you probably have a couple recommendations but just keep this in mind when when we start talking about the movie we're tackling it is the clock tower series which is a survival horror the original was actually like a point and click adventure game and it came out on super famicom in Japan. The movie that we're doing today pretty much directly inspired this game to the point where like Clock Tower may as well be a sequel to it or almost a video game adaptation to it. Yeah, this was all like new to me information when I started researching this movie. Yeah. I've seen this movie a bunch over the years, but never knew about this video game. But I was not into video games when this would have been out. Yeah, and Clock Tower is kind of one of those, I don't want to say forgotten Capcom properties, but they haven't really 
really done much with it in a while. Clock Tower 3 was really the last one that they dropped in the series as like direct sequels go, and that came out on PS2. Wow. Haunting Ground, which was the spiritual successor to Clock Tower 3, also came out on PS2. And good luck trying to find Haunting Ground, a copy of that, because that game is stupid expensive and rare now. I haven't checked the prices on Clock Tower 3 uh, on PS2, because they did print that relatively well and like made a bunch of copies of it when it first came out. But if you're going to play any of the Clock Tower games, watch if you dare does not condone this, but really one of the only ways I think you could play the original (laughs) is emulation, because they didn't have it on like the Super Nintendo Classic and all that stuff either. Yeah, and I guess if it's not available through any kind of official digital marketplace, it is what it is. You're going to be buying secondhand. You could probably pick up a Japanese copy and play it on like a Retron that includes like a patch for uh, Japanese games to convert it to English. I'm not 100% sure about that. One of our other buddies does that a lot with uh, a lot of the Mega Man games actually. So I don't know how that well that works for Clock Tower, but the first Clock Tower game came out in 1995, directly inspired off of this movie that we're doing today. It follows the story of a young girl named Jennifer. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) But in the game, the character's name is Jennifer Simpson, and her and a bunch of other girls who are all orphaned are just adopted to this family called the Barrows family. And the Barrows family is just like this rich family that owns this mansion. And they show up there and things are weird. And while Jennifer is exploring the mansion, she gets attacked by an antagonist called the Scissor Man. Wow. (laughs) Someone is attacking her with literally a giant pair of scissors. And that's how the first game starts. I never played the second game because the second game is also incredibly hard to come by and super expensive these days. And that came out on PS1. They did a clock tower in 1996 for PS1. That was kind of like a direct sequel from the first clock tower that came out on Super Nintendo. In Japan, it was called Clock Tower 2. But here's the confusing part. In America, they just called it Clock Tower again. And so you actually have four Clock Tower games, technically. And then Clock Tower 3 was the big one that came out on PS2. That one was still kind of in the same vein of where you're being stalked by uh, serial killers. You have very little you can do. You can stun them to get away, but otherwise you have to run away from them. Sure. All these games kind of deal with the idea of young female protagonist who has some weird unexplained, like, either supernatural ability or, like, sense or whatever, and them dealing with these villains. And one of the most common motifs throughout these games is the scissor man, the person chasing someone with a giant pair of scissors. If you are curious about them, go check out a playthrough of these. Like, I'm sure they're on YouTube, like, people playing them if, if you can't get your hands on copies, because, like I said, at least as far as Clock Tower 2 is concerned and the first Clock Tower, or rather the Clock Tower that came out on PS1, those are pretty expensive and hard to come by. I don't know about Clock Tower 3. I didn't check the prices before we started recording. If you wanted to try and play the spiritual successor Haunting Ground, good luck. That's stupid expensive right now in the collector's market. Just also FYI, I know I'd brought up Remothered as a recommendation on recent episodes. Remothered is very much in the same vein of these games. Like these games are direct inspirations to that game. So Okay. It's the stalker chasing an innocent person type gameplay horror. You know, now that you say that, I do remember when you mentioned that game a couple of months back. You said, oh yeah, these were inspired by the Clock Tower series. And it's just now like popping back into my head again. Well, and the funny thing about Remothered is with them being inspired by the Clock Tower series, I believe they were an Italian developer that made Remothered and Remothered Broken Porcelain. Ah, okay. That tracks. Yeah, yeah there, there's a direct line of Italian 
Italian horror between this Capcom, this Japanese developer being inspired by this Argento film, and then now all the way to present day to where like what's carrying on the legacy of these games is the Remothered series, and it's being made by Italian developers who were inspired by the Clock Tower game. So it's like, you know, it's... The circle of life. Yeah. It's an Ouroboros of Clock Tower and young females like being trapped in these ridiculous situations with serial killers with giant pairs of scissors and spears chasing after them. But yeah, so those are those are my recommendations. What have you got, Aaron? So I've got a couple for sure. Some of which maybe play into the movie that we're talking about a little bit. So Blank Check Podcast, uh, which we both listen to, I've been listening to to them for a while they have a robert zemeckis series right now and i revisited death becomes her because it's been a few years since i've seen it that movie's a fucking blast that is just some three stooges slapstick shit that entire movie meryl streep and goldie hawn are both fucking hilarious in it Bruce Willis, very understated in that movie, but also really playing up the comedy. Isabella Rossellini as the ageless, vampy-like woman who has the immortality serum, and she's basically just walking around in a towel with a bunch of jewels over her boobs. Like, instantly that gif of, like, Fred from Scooby-Doo just turning around saying, that's my fetish, like, popped into my head the entire time. (laughs) But, yeah, that movie is pretty fucking hilarious it's wild to see like oh yeah these were like the most cutting edge digital effects at the time that it came out and some of the stuff that they got away with in that movie that one's a blast it's on hbo max right now and then from there i took a wild fucking side trek into monkey shines oh, by wow. george romero which was also on hbo max <laughs> it like literally popped up right next to death becomes her and i was like you know what okay fuck it i have never seen this george romero movie now that i think about it that was the first time you watched it that's the first time i've watched it in full because once i put it on i started having all these fucking memories flood back into my head of having seen bits of this when i was growing up there were like things with the monkey that I was suddenly remembering because the cover is one of the like symbol monkey toys that's kind of a chimp style monkey, right? Not one of these, they're not macaques, they're not rhesus, but the, the type of monkey that's in this movie is not a chimp, which is what my head was thinking. And so all of a sudden I was like, oh wait, I have seen bits and pieces of this shit. The whole idea is it's a young guy who is struck by a truck on the road and then he's paralyzed from the neck down and so it's him getting used to his life as a quadriplegic and trying to live on his own and one of his buddies who works at a lab where they experiment on monkeys and have been doing all these brain boosting experiments on them is like yo how about I just give you one of the monkeys to be your assistant at the house (laughs) and so he's got this whole elaborate system where like he's trained the monkey to do these tasks and he ends up having a fucking psychic bond with this monkey and the monkey is going out and like murdering people for him that he like gets angry with that's the only thing that was missing from phenomena was like (laughs) the psychic bond with the monkey but everything else is like like it's ironic you're bringing this up as a recommendation on this episode (laughs) totally and again weird serendipity thing because I did not realize that that's what the movie was fully about like I said I remember 
seeing bits and pieces of it from when I was a kid, but mostly, like, the stuff in the lab, I think. So, yeah, the fact that, like, oh, this guy in a wheelchair has a monkey assistant, and the monkey is killing people, like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a wild connection there. Is this, like, the subplot from Phenomena, but realized as, like, an actual other horror movie that's, like, taking place on the side or something? (laughs) So, I should have looked it up. Monkey Shines is based on a novel. I don't know when the novel was written. Right. So I don't know if the novel was written like before Phenomena or after, but it is definitely based on a novel. And for some reason in my head too, I was thinking it was a Stephen King novel, but it's it's definitely not. I was thinking in my head, George Romero, Stephen King like worked together so much. Oh, it's just another Stephen King novella that I've never read or whatever. But yeah, it, it was pretty wild. Then I watched two other Italian horror movies. One was another Fulci that I've never seen called Enigma from 1987. It is also a bunch of girls at a school for girls. It's like St. Mary's College in Boston, but it's obviously not Boston. (laughs) Um, They're constantly just like, oh yeah, here in Boston. Here, drink this Coke. It's American. (laughs) Basically, yeah, like just like pieces where it's like, oh, how do we make sure that people know that this is in America? Let's just put Coke cans all over this guy's dorm room. It's America, right? Same thing. Her dorm room has like all these American posters of American icons. Like there's a poster of Clint Eastwood would and there's a poster of fucking tom cruise from top gun giving like the thumbs up and a poster of ronald reagan what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) but like there's this whole fucking thing about like one of the girls being from new orleans oh boy again fulci like in new orleans for some reason fucking snails remember like the kill from the beyond with the spiders same thing happens in this movie but it's snails wow Uh, just girl covered in snails (laughs) do they have teeth or something no she just gets covered in snails head to toe and then question mark dies they're acidic snails like what (laughs) no because you don't see them like acidifying her you don't see like anything like that right it's i just whatever but there's a fucking scene where this one girl and sneaks her boyfriend into the dorm she goes to shower comes back and it's like tom where are you pulls the sheets back and his body is decapitated and then it's just her fucking running down the hallway opening every door to every room and every room that she goes in, there's another bed with his decapitated body in it. And there's like metal music playing over it. So she's running around just screaming, Tom, Tom, Tom. And every door she opens, Tom, ah, screaming, like seeing the, like another decapitated body. Dude, we got to do more Italian horror more often. Oh, oh Fulci. <laughs> it was fucking wild. It definitely has that Fulci liquid brain kind of dream logic-y charm that he has. This one's just not quite what the fuck enough, like a lot of his early stuff. But I I enjoyed it enough for what it was. And it, it just felt like so many of the same, like weird, disparate elements of the movie we're going to talk about today the last one also has like a weird argento connection i watched the black cat from 1989 this is one that like i just kind of heard about recently because daria nicolodi was involved with the making of it this is directed by luigi causi who did stuff like fucking star crash and contagion it is about the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Black Cat, for about two minutes. 
and then like nothing else has to do with the black cat. But it apparently is the unofficial, or at least was unofficial for years, third entry in the Three Mothers trilogy. Whoa. Okay. So yeah, I see I see the face you're making. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> so yeah, Dario Argento's Suspiria and then Inferno are both movies that are like covering the three mothers. There's Mother Suspiriarma and Mother Lavana and Mother like Tenebratum. Tenebratum, yeah. So this one is specifically about the mother of tears, Lavana, and obviously like Argento would go on in the 2000s to make Mother of Tears officially, and it's it's, it's bad. It's it's bad. <laughs> so this is another filmmaker making this movie. I don't really know if there is an Argento connection at all beyond Daria Nicolodi working on it. It's these filmmakers. It's a director, his wife who is an actress, and then the like producer buddy. They have written a movie about Lavana, and then turns out, oops, where did you find the inspiration to make this? Oh, we don't know this book that we found. Uh, what is this? The Suspiria you know, Nakramaram or whatever. Oh shit. You know, so they like write this movie and then the spirit of the, you know, Lavana mother comes alive and possesses the actress wife. And there's all this crazy shit about cosmic babies coming through mirrors and all this other bullshit. Where it also becomes a fucking curveball is this movie is also known as Demon Six. And so that sent me down another fucking weird rabbit hole of, wait, so I know that there are a lot of unofficial demons sequels that had nothing to do with demons, but were branded as demons sequels in other parts of the world. There's Demons 1, Demons 2, both involve Argento because he like produced them and like co-wrote them. But then there are the two Michel Suave movies, The Church, which is like the unofficial third Demons 3, and then The Sect, which was Demons 4, and there were two other fucking movies that also claim to be Demons 3, apparently. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh. And there's literally three movies that all claim to be Demons 3. And I thought Clock Tower and then Clock Tower on PS1 was confusing. Yeah, exactly, right? And, and the wild thing is, they're branded as these Demons sequels in, like, Japan, Spain, and Brazil. They're not known as Demons sequels really anywhere else. Like, The Black Cat, Severn released it on Blu-ray this past year. It is released as The Black Cat, you know? It's not, like, aka Demon 6. It's not marketed as Demon 6. But yeah, there's a whole other weird chunk of Demon's unofficial movies that I need to track down. And then, to cap it all off, I mentioned several months back, Cemetery Man. That is apparently also the last unofficial Demon sequel as well, and it's known as Demon's 95, even though that movie came out in 1994, and it was just like another Michelle Suave movie. Maybe it's kind of like a new car, how they put out the <laughs> 2020 yeah, and the 2019. <laughs> but yeah, it was also kind of bananas and uh yeah so last movie i'll mention and then we'll get into talking about phenomena so uh, again going back to podcasts that i listened to i had two different shows with episodes on the crow city of angels <laughs> and i specifically did not mention this to you derek at all because i wanted to talk to you about this on the show so we all know the crow based on the like james Barr comic series 
series. They turn it into the movie with Brandon Lee that's, you know, now kind of infamous because that's the movie that he was accidentally killed during the production of. You know, the movie definitely has heavy cult status. The soundtrack is just as well known as the movie. So, two years later, they make another movie, Crow City of Angels, in 96, directed by Tim Pope, who is ostensibly just a music video director. So, this movie looks great if grungy mid-90s video aesthetic is your thing. Like, it has such a weird fucking, like, everything is dirty and industrial. Like, the entire look of the movie, if I can describe it, imagine if the Nine Inch Nails closer music video hate-fucked a Schumacher Batman movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on board. (laughs) There's just, like, grungy shit everywhere, but then there's purple neon lighting or green neon lighting. David S. Goyer, the fucking great Satan of comic book movies. This is like one of the first things that he wrote. This time it's Vincent Perez as the character who becomes the crow. Obviously they couldn't carry on with Jason Lee. So it's another character who also is murdered and comes back as the crow. This time he's like a bike mechanic slash magician who has a son. He's like a single dad and he gets murdered. His child gets murdered. He kind of comes back to like avenge his son's death. Mia Kirshner is in it and she's the girl from The Crow, the first movie. She's like the little girl in that movie but like grown up now. Richard Brooks is the main villain and he's like fucking sadomasochistic walking around with just a towel on looking like fucking member of the mummy cast and he's all into like pain and shit and there's S&M people all around his weird hideout and he's like doing all these designer drugs that they're putting out on the streets and he claims that he's been to hell and he liked what he saw like so does he do a monologue about how like pain and pleasure go to hand in hand and he can show you both yeah <laughs> nah there there's a lot of that weird clive barkery hellraiser yeah. stuff in there for sure that's what he sounds like he just sounds like a, a wannabe cenobite <laughs> yeah but then he's got a fucking like crew of henchmen and they are the ones that actually murdered old boy who becomes the crow and this crew of henchmen it's two or three unknown kind of people who like all have their gimmicks and then Thomas Jane in one of his early roles and he's wearing a fucking shock wig with fucking clockwork orange makeup and going to like peep shows and jerking off and popping coins into a machine before like the crow busts through the mirror and strangles him to death. Fucking Iggy Pop (laughs) is like wearing leather jackets and no shirt underneath just slinking from scene to scene being like hey there's a fucking crow here man. He's fucking coming after us man. We gotta get the fuck out of here man <laughs> Iggy's showing up in the 90s and random stuff like Pete and Pete and this oh yeah oh yeah but there's just shit like you know hey I got this fucking crow tattoo man why'd you give me this tattoo fuck it's coming alive it's haunting me man like it's just that kind of wild bullshit anybody got any smokes yeah so it was kind of a fucking insano trip very 90s it's like one of the most 90s fucking movies I've seen in a long time but again it's 
very much in that grunge aesthetic. Again, this movie also, great soundtrack. Amazing fucking soundtrack. There's a lot of good shit on it. But it is definitely just, what the fuck am I watching? Like, the crow in hindsight, you know how in the first movie, once he becomes the crow, he's kind of jokey and he like fucks around with people, man. We live in a society. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of the same thing where it's channeling some of that edgy Joker energy where every time that he like doesn't have the makeup on, he's hurt, sad guy. Oh my soul, crying. <laughs> and like Mia Kirshner's like holding his face, right? But then as soon as he puts the fucking makeup on and is murdering people, it's all just, who? I'm a magician. Pick a card, any card. It's a death card. Boof. You know, like that kind of bullshit. It's just the goofiest shit. So it's a character we would write when we were like 14. Oh, oh, it's very, it's very, very Derek and Aaron, age 13. Yes. Crawling in my skin. Yeah. <laughs> That is also on HBO Go, or HBO Max, rather. The only other thing I'll mention, then we'll move on, is somehow that same week, I accidentally watched three fucking movies with Michael Wincott, who was the bad guy in the first Crow. I I watched fucking Strange Days with Heather, the, like, future apocalypse movie with Angela Bassett and Ray Fiennes with the brain-scanning technology. He's, like, sleazy record producer in that. I watched the Doors movie for another podcast where they were, like, going back through and looking at that shit, and he's, like, the sleazy record producer in that and then for another podcast i watched disney's treasure planet where he's the voice of one of the fucking alien pirates (laughs) so it was just a weird like what the fuck is going on in my life right now that i've watched three (laughs) and i guess tangentially four movies with michael wincott this week (laughs) an actor again who never left the 90s (laughs) his entire career is pretty much wrapped up in that decade so yeah i would definitely recommend like any of those they are all a fun time even if they're all kind of fucking batshit and basically everything that i just mentioned except for the two italian movies are on hbo if you want to watch them yeah but uh before we do move on i fucked up i need to do a little bit of revision about uh what i said about clock tower and this kind of goes to show that i actually played clock tower 3 first which was directly tied to capcom actually clock tower that came out on super nintendo clock tower that came out on ps1 clock tower 2 the struggle within also on ps one the first three clock towers were actually developed by human entertainment which was a japanese developer publisher who went bankrupt back in 2000 that sounds like the most fake company name by the way (laughs) human entertainment yeah and then, then 2002, when Clock Tower 3 dropped, that's when Capcom stepped up with another company to kind of get that game out, and it was a commercial failure. And then Capcom tried their hand at resurrecting sort of that gameplay, that, that series with Haunting Ground, um, which, again, like, they haven't done anything since Haunting Ground, so I don't know if that was very successful. But now it is one of the most rare games from the PS2 era. Uh, so I just wanted to make that little revision to, like, my recommendation, because I just assumed that this series was always under Capcom's umbrella when actually it wasn't and once again I'm gonna probably bring up Clock Tower a few more times because this movie and that video game are just fucking sequels man like they should be their own franchise all right well yeah let's uh get started talking about this movie so once again we are covering our first Dario Argento movie from 1985 so I would argue this is maybe his next to last solid movie in that entire run from there it's very diminishing returns I'll agree 
agree with that. <laughs> this is a very young Jennifer Connolly attempting to catch a serial killer who is knocking off classmates at a remote European boarding school. Jennifer Connolly's first lead role, too, in a yeah. fucking Argento movie. Oh, yeah. By the way, she discovers she can psychically control insects. So, yeah, we are covering Phenomena, a.k.a. Creepers, which is how many people probably saw it since that was the U.S. release name. So here is a taste of uh, what to expect from this insanity. Jennifer is the new girl in a strange school. She's taunted by her classmates, haunted by a deadly secret. Is she insane? Well, she's not normal. And caught up in a murderous wave of terror. When the murderer hides his victims, he likes to keep in physical contact with them. But Jennifer's got a few million close friends. Insects never hurt me. I love all insects. You're in a position to do extraordinary things. And she's going to need every one of them. Creepers. That fly is your magic wand. Ask him to lead you where the dead bodies are hidden, and he'll lead you. From one of the most acclaimed masters of suspense. comes the chilling tale of a young girl trapped in a web of evil. Dario Argento's Creepers. It will make your skin crawl. Aaron James, insects never hurt me. I love them. Which <laughs> I, I noticed that you mentioned before, like you put in the trailer or the clip or whatever you do of that audio part. You said she discovers she has a psychic link to insects. This movie establishes that she knows like she has some weird relationship with insects well before like the weird scientist guy in the wheelchair with a monkey like confirms all this. Which by the way, that is weird scientist weird guy, guy in the wheelchair with a monkey. With the monkey. Yes, yep. <laughs> we are being completely serious by the way all of these are plot points in this movie we haven't even gotten to the demon child part yet either <laughs> which they just kind of throw in in the last like 10 minutes so real quick on our last episode with james the beyond james you specifically said yeah you would be down to do phenomena and i was down because this is a movie that i fucking love because it's insane oh yeah don't get me wrong i loved this movie so this is kind of a good argento like a lot of people are gonna be like why the fuck are you not doing fucking Deep Red or Suspiria or Tenebrae first, right? I think this is maybe a good one for us to start with Argento because even though this is his eighth horror thriller giallo kind of movie, right? It came at the height of 80s VHS era and it starred an American teenage girl and it was fairly accessible to people in the States and in the UK and a lot of English speaking countries. So it was very, very popular because it didn't quite have that same barrier of oh this is an italian movie in air quotes right this movie got like a theatrical release in the u.s yeah. even though it was chopped up and i mean argento was like a known talent after bird of the crystal plumage and deep red and Suspiria and all those right but they just weren't super available at this point in time so that and like this movie's a good gateway for us to discuss like some bigger topics and elements like argento himself and just the idea of giallo and donald pleasance just 
everything, right? Without really even short shrifting the movie. Like, this is also one of Argento's most personal favorites. So, like, this is kind of a good one to start with, I think. Well, and to that point, the American teenage girl who starred in this went on to become one of the most successful best actresses in Hollywood. Totally. And this was also Donald Pleasance at his height. So, like, there's a lot we can talk about. It seems like as batshit as the little bit of taste that we've given you all so far of what the plot is, this seems like the most accessible Argento. Am I wrong there? Or, like, what, what do y'all think? This is probably going to be the most accessible. So, all that said, James, like, what specifically about this one were you kind of like, yeah, done. That's the one that I would say I would like to be on. Well, honestly, it's Argento. And being an Argento fan, which it takes a little bit to be an Argento fan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's really probably, it's going to sound weird. It's one of the most tame in an odd way. Yeah. There is a lot of bad shit things. And Derek, like you said, the last, what, 12, 10 minutes that we'll get into with the kid and everything. <laughs> and that's just like a shotgun blast. And you're like, what the fuck? It combines a lot of Argento's elements. So you have this element of supernatural, you have the American, and some people mostly go back to Suspiria for this, but Deep Red is kind of the same aspect, but it goes back to the American in Europe, seemingly out of place, but still dealing with everything. And then there's this element that's completely attached to them, and they have some type of linkage to what's going on. Susie, most notably in Suspiria, with having like this super ability to perceive every fucking thing around her it was like oh my god there's 12 <laughs> steps here to the left and then two steps back and then he's like well what the fuck i can't do that <laughs> um but uh, there's that there's the supernatural aspect with the quote-unquote bug attachment or bug abilities there's just the random shit like the chimp i mean everything goes into play and it's really really batshit not a left field but it's very very tame for argento to your point jay I was doing a little bit of reading of like what makes an Argento movie an Argento movie. And honestly, there are some similarities between horror themes and just common stuff you see in our an Argento movie and Fulci as well. But what is it with window deaths, windows crashing like in <laughs> Italian horror? But that's always been a thing that people keep bringing up. I remember reading around like other articles as I was doing a little bit of research before this. People say like there's always the black gloves and like I, I love with it, especially with Italian horror, but we see it in a lot of horror movies especially like from the 80s 70s where you just see pov and the only thing you see are like black gloves or creepy hands like they're almost supernatural killer hands so that's a staple of the giallo subgenre so let's let's kind of start there and then goblin soundtrack yeah yeah. (laughs) creepy children supernatural children like you said james yeah yeah like these are all like trademarks yeah so yeah firstly i i joke that what sets fulci and argento apart is that fulci she loves eye trauma and Argento loves like you said just window, window. deaths <laughs> smashing people through windows cutting people's heads off of windows even Fulci had a window death in the beyond like that guy got fucking yeah, true, murdered yeah. by shards of glass from the window so yeah let's talk about Giallo for just a hot second and very cursorily because this is not fully a Giallo movie but this is at least a good way that we can dip our toes into that idea because this movie like James was saying is is a good combination of his earlier Giallo stuff with the supernatural stuff that he kind of moves into starting with Suspiria. So this is like a good balance between those two ideas. So Giallo 
giallos specifically is a subgenre of Italian sexy crime mystery thriller kind of horror stuff. Giallo obviously is the Italian word for yellow. The term comes from pulp novels that were published by Mondadori specifically in the 1930s, which were like cheap, ubiquitous. They featured bright yellow covers. And the subgenre of movies kind of began in earnest in the 1960s. Directors like, you know, Mario Bava and later again Argento and Fulci. It would be kind of a predecessor to the U.S. slasher genre. So that's kind of an idea. I mean, it was mostly, like you said, an unknown killer, usually wearing some kind of disguised or masked or you don't know their true identity and it's usually revealed as some kind of twist at the end. There's usually lots of red herrings on who the killer is. In the movies especially, you see lots of POV stuff, like you were saying. You see lots of gloved hands with scissors and knives and all that kind of bullshit. There's always a pretty heavy sexual angle to them. So it's that kind of crime thrillery subgenre. And then, like we said, starting with Suspiria, he gets more into supernatural stuff. So his first few movies were fully in that giallo kind of aesthetic. There's the Animal Trilogy, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Cat of Nine Tails, Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Those were all pretty firmly giallo movies. And he took a break to do some historical epics, but then he came back with Deep Red, which Deep Red was the first really massive major, like, international hit that Argento had. That's the one that uh, I'm actually kind of looking forward to us doing down the line. Like, yeah. I've been looking forward to that one as far as Italian horror goes. Yeah, totally. But then immediately after that one, he shifts fully into supernatural stuff with Suspiria and Inferno. And then he kind of shifts fully back into Giallo with Tenebrae. So he kind of goes back and forth and you can tell that there's a lot of the same like themes and ideas that he's working with that kind of bleed into phenomena ultimately. And Argento himself, I mean, he started off as the son of a movie producer father and a photographer mother. Some of the story that you hear in this about Jennifer Connelly's mother like up and leaving them is supposedly based on Argento's real life. He began his career as a film critic. He started screenwriting. Eventually he collaborated with Sergio Leone and Bertolucci oh, damn. on fucking Once Upon a Time in the West, right? Like he wow. co-wrote one of the greatest westerns ever. That I did not know. I did not know that, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that kind of put him on the map was like oh, he wrote the first draft of that screenplay with them. And then and, you know, his filmmaking career kind of took off from there fully. But yeah, I mean, this this movie is kind of a weird mashup of a lot of the same stuff that he had been working with for a while. I was shocked with how straightforward this movie is. And straightforward, like, yeah, yeah like, Fulci is very disconnected, but Compared yeah. to Fulci's Be The Beyond, I mean, there was a lot of disjointedness even to this, which I think both James, you and Aaron, like, kind of told me, like, that's just a thing in Italian horror. It's just, like, disjointedness and... Right subplots being dropped regardless of all of that this was still pretty straightforward when compared to like full cheese of beyond like there felt like there was a start to a finish in this movie whereas with the beyond yeah it was just fucking <laughs> buckshot all over the place yeah argento definitely is more of a technician for sure like he is definitely more of a like technical i want this to look and feel exactly the way i want it to be i want the lighting to be perfect i need all this like he's he's very much a 
craftsman, where Fulci is very good as well, but Fulci definitely brings more of the, like, floatiness to his stories, I'll say. Like, there's definitely more of, like, a dream logic kind of quality to them. Who do y'all prefer usually? Do y'all prefer Fulci or Argento? I know this is kind of, like, off the cuff. Argento, hands down. Like Aaron said, I have appreciation for both, and I can certainly go back, like, the Beyond, for example, in saying that Fulci did this particular film that's just, holy shit, it's awesome. Yeah, and Derek, you said the best way. It's buckshot everywhere with Fulci. (laughs) And then with Argento, you're going to have your moments, but it's going to be a lot more linear, and you're going to get to the point, and I think... I guess going on a sociological aspect, sometimes, and this just goes from my personal experience from living in Europe and having European friends and uh, being married to a European, sometimes European logic can be, we expect you to see this. We expect you to see this, and we expect you to understand why this is here. Well, as an American, it's like, well, we need this explained. We need the spoon fed. (laughs) So when you have Argento, where there's a little bit like where you're going, oh, well, okay, that's kind of weird, but I can give it a little bit of randomness. You're still going to have a lot more linear flow. Fulci is going to be like, okay, that happened? Oh, that happened? Okay, cool. Yeah, like one dream to the next. Like, I was shocked watching Phenomena with how linear it was, like you just said, James. I went in expecting this to be like another Fulci, like dream mindfuck. And, you know, again, there were elements of that, but it was far more linear. I know I said this off air. There was even a little bit of the idea of the scientist having a monkey as his assistant. Felt even like that weird sense of humor, David Lynch kind of sensibility a little bit. And like I went on to read about how Argento has like animals in some of his movies and like there's also randomly cruelty to animals in a lot of his movies. Yeah, and that's definitely a symptom of Italian movie making. I mean, every movie director of that era in horror, that is an unfortunate side effect that is there. You know, so so much to the point that Cannibal Holocaust, for instance, literally has a like animal cruelty free version that's available that cuts out all of that. You'll still see a woman impaled through her asshole out of her mouth on a spike, but uh, the scene where they kill the turtle is cut out. You know, like, there's definitely a lot of that, and I think a lot of it is just their regulations and their rules around animal safety are definitely not the same as everybody else's were at the time. Well, yeah, at the time, I was just saying, I hope now they're, like... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think to answer that question, too, I like both. And I think it depends on what mood I'm in. I will also say I think Argento has the stronger movies in his prime. Like that run of those first eight, nine movies from Bird with the Crystal Plumage all the way through Opera. That run is unimpeachable. That run is so fucking good. Everything in there is so good. Deep Red, Suspiria, Inferno, Tenebrae, Phenomena, Opera, like all of those fucking bangers and we are going to cover every single one of those on this show eventually even like the animal trilogy is still really strong if you're into like straightforward giallo but from there there is such a fucking cliff that he falls off of in my opinion that it's tough to watch so for me like that run of argento stuff will 
always top Fulci, but Fulci, like, as a whole, he doesn't have movies that are as strong as those Argento movies, but I think they're just as weird, and they're just as floaty and interesting if you put them on late at night when your brain's a little bit liquid, and even some of his lesser efforts, like I said, just Enigma that I just watched today, it's riffing on a lot of the same stuff as The Beyond, but I still found it watchable. I wasn't bored, I wasn't distracted through any of it, I was still kind of like, okay, what the fuck is this? This is weird, this is neat, these like shots floating above the hospital are really cool like there's still something in this and I feel like again past opera I can't watch card player I can't watch Sindal syndrome drama I can't watch Sindal syndrome I can't watch Phantom of the Opera like all of those are just like so fucking rough and feel like a chore with Argento where again with Fulci like I can watch some of his later stuff and like it's fine you know like I can turn my brain off and like kind of space out in that way that you can do with his movies and it's fine so I think the answer for me is I like both I think Argento is maybe the stronger technical filmmaker and his run of good shit is the best that you can get in terms of Italian horror but I still really like Fulci and there's more that I can like put on and just kind of be chill with over his entire filmography instead of just like a one small section of it. And Fulci also has a lot of non-horror stuff that's really fucking good, like For the Apocalypse, which is like a crazy dystopian western. Conquest is like a fucking bananas fantasy movie with snake people and werewolves and like metal titties. Like, it's a fucking (laughs) bananas movie. Argento's pretty straightforward and it's giallo or it's straight up horror but that's kind of all he has in his filmography so I like both but I like both for very different reasons I think and they are obviously like the two big guys that constantly come up in this conversation about Italian horror and you can vacillate between the two of them constantly which I'm sure we will in our show yeah and now having watched this this is probably the only Argento movie I've seen start to finish I've seen like scenes from Deep Red that kind of got me interested but this is really only Argento movie I've seen and the beyond is the only Fulci movie I've seen and honestly I can't even really say which one is better than the other for my own personal taste I like them both for very different reasons I will say that I would have to be in a specific mood to watch the beyond um, and I'm sure that might be the case with all of Fulci's work or at least his horror whereas with Argento with this movie specifically with Phenomena I feel like I could put this on most times and be able to like watch it and be interested in it yeah before we continue this discussion, I'll just do my spiel for uh, horror newbies here. And James, Aaron, you know, feel free to cut in as well. But, you know, like horror newbies, as far as like actual horror goes, like there is some pretty messed up shit. There is some pretty gruesome uh, mutilation and stuff like that. Yeah, I wouldn't say the movie is scary, but the movie is gross. Yeah, it's a gross the movie. movie. Is yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, but it's not like gross in a saw, like torture porn way, but it's more gross and like decaying bodies and like maggots yeah maggots body parts getting cut off like we've said over and over if you don't like bugs yeah this might be one that gets under your skin a little bit like i don't like spiders and when heather and i were watching it there's the moment where like you see that tarantula in the tank that's like rearing up and i was just kind of like a little bit and she was like oh you don't like that the fucking (laughs) dead body pit is fine with all the maggots but like the spider is just the thing that sets you which again i don't know how you got past that spider scene in the beyond where they get fucking eaten by spiders (laughs) Those are all fucking fake spiders. There's a difference. Some of them are real. But as far as jump scares and stuff, there's really not. Because, like, the actual horror, quote-unquote, scenes where, 
like it would be jump scary and like person getting murdered by a faceless killer. And this might be an Italian horror thing. Again, it's all like artistic. <laughs> like, it's the best yeah. way. To, like it's very stylized. The whole movie is very stylized. The soundtrack is fucking banging. Almost to the point where it almost took me out of the movie and it's almost a knock against it, but like I kind of dig it, is that Iron Maiden's Flash of the Blade interrupts the Goblin soundtrack at like two <laughs> points. And then there's an, a Motorhead. So the Motorhead song was the part where I was just like, I mean, I like Motorhead, but I don't know if we need this in this movie. The Iron Maiden stuff is wild. Like it makes sense to have that some of the times where they have it. The first Iron Maiden scene where she's like getting like stalked, that part was good. But the second Iron Maiden was... But then when it's just Jennifer Connelly like wandering around her room in the dark, getting all of her stuff together, why do we have this Iron yeah. Maiden song just blasting over But it? like the Goblin soundtrack is fucking good to the point where like the two tracks that really stood out to me was the sleepwalking track where she like sleepwalks the roof and witnesses that other murder happen and then that part after her roommate like she hears her roommate scream she wakes up and like the firefly directs her to the glove that track that plays during that whole scene is fucking killer top-notch goblin shit The wind is, is it the wind? I can't remember which one it is. No, I think it's Valley. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bill Wyman song. That is a fucking good music cue. And that's like the one that sticks in my head with this movie. There is some Goblin stuff on Apple Music. Like, they have the Suspiria soundtrack and other Italian movie soundtracks. They don't have fucking Phenomena, though, on there, which is disappointing because I wanted to add it to Apple Music and then see if they had it on Spotify to add to our playlist. Well, I actually had the Phenomena soundtrack years ago. I forgot where the fuck I got it from, honestly. But they cut out a lot of the Goblin music. Oh, that's disappointing. Really it comes down to the sleepwalking theme and Jennifer's overall theme just redone in several formats. Yeah.
I know for The Valley, I listen to YouTube music, and they have The Valley on YouTube music when I was looking up for the soundtrack, because, like you said, Aaron, the setting with that, and then that music, it's beautiful. It yeah. is very, very beautiful in two ways, just in a general sense, and then the other aspect of this loneliness and the terror that is going to come from it. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, and yeah. as gross as some of the horror, like mutilation, dead bodies, and all that is in this movie, it's otherwise just beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. There is a little bit of that hashtag art <laughs> where it's so stylized that like it's kind of crazy, but it, it might not be as accessible for horror newbies, but not because of the horror itself, because like I didn't find this movie particularly scary. It was creepy. Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of creepiness to it, and the actual ideas in the story are pretty terrifying when you think about it, but if you want to like kind of dip your toes in Italian horror, like it sounds like from the both of you and kind of going back to something I said earlier, this might be the most accessible out of Argento and Fulci horror movies, so I, I would recommend it as a newbie. Well, like I mentioned too, for a lot of people, this was maybe their first exposure to Argento because the U.S. cut of this, which was called Creepers, the movie was released in Italy in January of 85. Can I guess what the U.S. release cut out? Uh, Sure. My guess is they cut out some of the gore and then they cut out some of the scenes where Jennifer Connelly is just in that uh, nightgown. Nope. Really? Yeah. What? <laughs> More random shit than nope. that. Wasn't Jennifer Connelly yeah. like fucking 15 in this movie? <laughs> like that, that scene was pretty like exploitative, I felt like. A little bit. I I mean, she's she's fully clothed. And it's yeah, not like you yeah. can see under her clothes or anything like yeah. that. That's something I will say. Argento, he's a little bit of a weirdo in real life. There is definitely some weirdness regarding him and like his personal relationships and all that and I don't know how much of that has been substantiated ever whatever but this movie has kind of a weird like sweet innocence to it that I don't feel is ever like exploitative like I don't feel like there's ever any kind of like sexualization of Jennifer Connelly in this movie yeah Jennifer feels extremely pure through this movie which is it had to be done on purpose given her power is like basically control of insects or like you'd think on one hand you have like this gross idea like this gross power but the person doing it is like this innocent pure young girl and something that I noticed and I brought this up before and I've noticed it more recently with horror in general but it seems to be a common thing at least with Argento movies maybe Italian horror is the idea of a young female protagonist I've noticed that not only is that very common in horror more so than other genres of fiction but that some of the best characters in horror are female like you think of Ripley from Alien, right? And then, like, if you want to go video games, like Jill Valentine, Claire Redfield from the Resident Evil series. Sure. And, like, in Resident Evil 2, Claire specifically is, like, 18, 19-year-old college student. Like, a, again, a young female girl. There felt like, with this movie specifically, that it kind of embraced that idea of Jennifer's innocence, like what you were probably about to get into, Aaron. And, guys, is everyone at this fucking boarding school, like, the worst person in, in existence? Like, is this <laughs> Bully Central? Like, what the fuck? Except for the girl with the BGs. Yeah, the girl with the BGs yeah, t-shirt. that BGs t-shirt is great. I would wear that right now. She was great. But like, man, everyone's a fucking monster, but Jennifer and the, the scientist and the and maybe the police inspector. Yeah. When the entire student body and your teachers all show up to like swarm around you and mock you in the hallway, that's, yeah, that's pretty it's rough. Pretty <laughs> yeah. 
So anyway, yeah, like this movie, the full cut of this movie is 116 minutes. Um, and that's the version that we watched. Um, it's the full, like, complete Italian version. To the point where there's even scenes where, like, the American English dub drops and they convert to Italian. <laughs> and I just took it in my own head as these were the moments where, like, a character, including Jennifer, lost their temper. So they went to Italian to, like, tell off somebody. Yeah, but, like that is an awkward scene. Yes. And Heather definitely was like, wait... <laughs> pause it what's going on why are they switching between italian and english there's this 116 minute cut there is a 110 minute cut which is an international cut this is the version that most people are probably going to be able to access the easiest i believe this is the version that's available through itunes and your streaming marketplaces but this is also the version that is available on shutter right now so if you want to watch this you've got that solid cut of the movie on shutter then it was shortened to 83 minutes. Yeah. So it literally had 35 minutes cut out for the U.S. release, and it was retitled Creepers. What was cut from the 116 to 110? What were the six minutes that were cut there for the international release? Very small trims to some of the scenes of her wandering around. Okay. The scene where she like goes sleepwalking and is in the middle of town and almost gets hit by the cars. Like that's trimmed a little bit. Like where the scenes take their time basically yeah it's it's more just tightening up some of those scenes and then the creepers cut really chops away a lot of the sleepwalking stuff a lot of the scenes of her like wandering around are also heavily heavily trimmed i gotta go back and re-watch that version eventually i wanted to watch it before we talked about this but i just didn't have time to so yeah you were right on the money james they didn't cut out any of like the core <laughs> no none none of the stuff you would expect the u.s <laughs> yeah. to cut out all of that is still in the movie the first time i watched this it was under creepers and it was i want to say it was one of those ones i came across to on the sci-fi channel when the sci-fi channel first came out yeah and they would have like their horror period right so i watched it there then i rented it and it was kind of like oh okay well sci-fi channel back then was a little bit more free-flowing so it wasn't really a whole lot of cutting out from the vhs version that i got at the video store yeah but uh later on when i actually bought it under Phenomena. It was either DVD or VHS, and I watched the whole movie. I was like, oh, well, shit. They really did cut a lot of this out. But it was definitely one of those moments where you're like, oh, yeah, shit. They do heavily edit films and cut out a lot of crap between certain versions. And I, I hate to mention this, but same way with Chud. <laughs> Oddly <laughs> enough, there's the original version of Chud, but then there's the yeah. completely uncut version of Chud. They're about the same as far as story and tone but there's different things that you see and things that are presented so yeah I had kind of the same thing where I originally saw this movie years ago as Creepers rented it from our like you know local VHS neighborhood store and it was that fucking cover art with Jennifer Connelly holding the handful of the flies out but then half of her face was like a skull um, and it had the Creepers logo on it and I had not seen this movie in years you know like and I just remembered like the key things that everybody fucking remembers you know anytime that somebody was like hey i saw this fucking movie with this monster kid and this girl that could talk to bugs again the monster kid, monster kid. is only <laughs> in it for like 15 minutes at the end yeah the main one was just like and a monkey fucking kills somebody <laughs> and i was always like oh yeah i've seen that one right I sw we swear this movie's good, y'all. Like, go watch it. <laughs> I finally saw this movie in 
full several years back when Synapse put out their remaster of it. They were doing like a bananas fucking phenomenal job of doing these 4K remasters of a lot of Argento stuff. So they have Tenebrae, Phenomena, and Suspiria. They're the ones that also did the Suspiria 4K remaster that came out a while back. The release that Synapse put out has all three cuts of the movie. And I still need to go back and watch the Creepers one like I was mentioning. But finally seeing this movie in the full uncut version where everything kind of makes more sense now beforehand you're like what the fuck is this mess oh now i have this full version where at least there's context and it's functional you know like it's kind of the same thing here there were like these weird moments where like why the fuck is jennifer Connolly eating baby food with a toothbrush in creepers (laughs) why is she now on the roof (laughs) And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's a line thrown in there where her roommate is like, yeah, my parents were visiting and they had my baby brother here and they left these baby food jars. Wait, they had that cut out of the American version? Yes. She's just fucking eating baby food? Yes, but it just cuts to her like eating baby food with a toothbrush and there's no explanation (laughs) of that. It's that kind of stuff that they trimmed for creepers and it made no sense. To that point, like what I assumed was cut, kind of going back to like what horrors and things you can expect in this movie, kind of trimmed. Trigger warning, there is a bit of like sexual assault to this movie because there is a scene where like she sleepwalking gets hit by that car and those two foreign guys pick her up, put her in the car, and then they're kind of assaulting her. Yeah, there's a little bit of weirdness of what's going on here. Like that's not really explained. They're like You can't tell if they're trying to like hold her down to get her to the hospital or if they're like Yeah, are they like trying to rough her up or are they trying to like shake her awake? You know, it's not really made clear in that. I took it as assault because like, you know, they're calling her like little shit, stay still and stuff like that. So yeah, that was a weird, uncomfortable scene. But then like you also have the plot point of that one woman at the school who you find out later on worked at a mental asylum and was assaulted, like sexually assaulted by all the prisoners there or some of the prisoners there. Like, so that's like a whole plot point. So there is this really weird darkness also juxtaposed. There's undercurrents of that stuff for sure. Yeah. But next to that, you have again, like this highly stylized, beautiful kind of movie like to the point where one of my favorite shots in the movie is anytime like she looked at the window or you saw the yard of this girl's school which by the way this girl's school is like the creepiest fucking mansion where a school is (laughs) but like the yard just has random like marble statues placed in random areas across the field where they look like people just standing in the field watching you the fucking Richard Wagner school for girls yeah Yeah. (laughs) that whole set dressing was pretty on point with that's like where I felt like I was in a dream because like that was like when a couple of the sleepwalking scenes happened but like when you look out on that yard and you just see these random statues that you'd find in the black lodge of twin peaks just out in the yard were in random places that make no sense like that that felt kind of the wind is always blowing heavily yeah. yeah it's a very weird atmosphere actually along with what you were saying derek for me it's the opening shot when the tourist gets off of the bus and then the bus or rather she's running back to the bus and the bus leaves her in the middle of this gorgeous european countryside yeah yeah and she's insanely alone and one thing i was able to actually compare is having lived in germany there's times when you'll get lost and it's really fucking unnerving it's cool because you're looking around like oh shit well there's a vineyard on the side of this mountain yeah it's beautiful beautiful You don't see that yeah. in Louisiana. Wow. But then on the flip side, you're like, I don't know where the fuck I'm at. Isolated. Yeah. I'm totally isolated. And only thing I hear are a couple of birds. Now I'm going to randomly walk around. And yeah. 
That, so that was that's a shot that stays in my mind every time I. To that point, James, because you you might be able to speak better about this, having lived in those kind of environments and experienced a lot of this. That opening scene where, because I didn't want to judge it as a character making a dumb decision in a horror movie, where she like is standing out on the road. She's clearly cold because like the wind's blowing. It might not be as warm as it seems. Like she's not dressed for cold weather either. She is a stranger in this place that she doesn't know. She doesn't stay on the road, and the road, like you said is wide open like it's beautiful out sun is shining like wide open road beautiful countryside she wanders off the road on a dirt path to this house that's literally right off the road walks into the house and like that's when all this bad shit happens to her to the point where she gets killed at an observatory to a waterfall like where a lot of tourists would probably go to go check out the scenery like did you find that that's kind of realistic because you just wouldn't expect help to arrive down the road because of like how isolating would you think that those roads really are that abandoned that it would be maybe be smarter to like go check out a house nearby and see if you get some help from them or was that just maybe more of a horror movie trope combination of both and honestly funny that you mentioned that in situations where we've had that i remember one of my buddies and i we were in bavaria on a training mission and we just got to go out one time we got out we're in the middle of fucking nowhere there's a house here there's a few however far down the road a house here and so on and so forth but we're at a point where we're like we can't find shit yeah and yeah you're more comfortable in europe and it's a little bit more natural to go to someone and knock on their door not fucking randomly enter their house but knock <laughs> on their door and say like hey try to piece yourself through it um especially as a foreigner trying to say you know hey i'm i'm lost you know uh don't know where i'm at trying to get that aspect of being able to get your bearings or get them to help you so it, that part is not unusual when it gets unusual to the hard trope is I'm going to go in your house and I'm going to fucking look around and call your name and things like that. And the house is blaringly creepy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would not go to a what looks like a fucking murder house. Oh, oh no, yeah. <laughs> no. Go, go to a place that looks, you know, furnished, at least. <laughs> yeah, go to a house that looks like somebody lives in it. Yes. Anytime we do tackle, like, foreign horror, we always kind of look at, like, universal tropes, right? And one of the things that opening scene elicited to me is this is the nightmare that a lot of Americans actually would have when they're just driving around America, like Midwestern America, even maybe yep. the South, and you're on the highway beyond like rest stops and stuff. You're otherwise in the middle of nowhere, and you always see these random dilapidated houses that are right off the highway, maybe kind of down a dirt path where they're a little bit in the distance. There's still an eye shot, and like you just wonder, like, whose fucking house is that? Why is it like that? Why is it here? What are they like if it's still inhabited? What's going on inside that house? And I don't need to be here <laughs> and i don't need to be here and like this is like yeah. the nightmare scenario version that we all envision when we're on road trips and we see that you go up to this house and up oh, this demon kid chained to the basement up oh, this person <laughs> like attacks me with a giant pair of scissors which on that note this is the direct inspiration for the scissor man character in clock tower was the scene where like she gets chased and the killer is wielding a giant pair of scissors and like stabs her i looked at screenshots of the snes version or i guess it would be the famicom version for japan but the villain is modeled even yep. after the fucking kid at the end of this movie like stomping around with a giant pair of scissors the later games it is just like you know a giant muscle monster man 
it, so it's definitely different in the later games. Well, and and when Scissor Man is still in costume, so to say, it looks very similar to the costume the killer uses in this movie when they go to the professor's house and when they leave the professor's house. Ah, okay. On that note, I told y'all we would come back to Clock Tower. Clock Tower is a series that was created by someone named Hifumi Kono, and he created the Clock Tower series specifically getting inspiration from Argento horror films. Like, you watch multiple Argento horror films, and he claims that Phenomena is the absolute main inspiration, which if you play through at least the first Clock Tower game that was on Super Famicom, the amount of similarities between that and this movie is insane to the point where the main character is named Jennifer. The character is modeled after Jennifer from this movie. Yeah. The killer chases (laughs) you with a giant pair of scissors. You're in basically a, a weird fucking mansion. It's not necessarily a girl's school, but like you're in a weird mansion with a bunch of other orphan girls being like chased around there's a ridiculous twist of like the identity of the scissor man and like what's going on with this family i don't think in the first game you have like any supernatural abilities although i think jennifer has a keen sense of awareness that's kind of almost supernatural there are elements of supernaturalness though going on because like not only can you be killed by like scissor man he's not he's the recurring antagonist and sometimes the only enemy in the game but there are moments where like other random supernatural shit can happen to you so there's a lot of sensibilities between it to the point where like because this takes place in where switzerland this movie yeah yes and i had to look that up to make a hundred percent sure because i said it was set in switzerland and heather was like wait the fuck is it no wait there's yeah italian alps are you sure it's not set yeah. there i was like no they said switzerland and that's kind of like how it is with the first clock tower game is like the mansion you're walking around in like despite this being a japanese developer and creator like they definitely like made it a lot more like italian gothic mansion so yeah just being a fan of horror video games and having kind of a general knowledge of like history of some games specifically with clock tower it was a blast to watch this movie and just be like this is where all this came from holy shit yeah one thing i did look up while heather and i were having the conversation about switzerland i just googled fucking switzerland and pulled up their wiki and read for a minute and learned some shit about switzerland i didn't know but i was trying to figure out okay the line oh yeah this area is known as the swiss transylvania what does that mean i don't know that's just what they call it <laughs> and that's like the line for the fucking movie and i just kept trying to figure out like is there is is that real? Is that what they oh, call it or something? No, apparently not. That's just like some no. shit they made up for the fucking movie. The lines in this movie, by the way, are top notch, especially from her roommate. <laughs> um, I, I know I told y'all one off air, but correct me if I'm wrong. This is exactly what she says. At one scene, Jennifer like talks about meeting the professor to her roommate, and her roommate says, he's not a man. He's got more hands than the entire basketball team. Is that what the line is? Because like I went back and watched it three times to like make sure I was hearing that correctly and i was like what the fuck does that even mean he's got more hands than the entire basketball team well there's also fucking lines about jennifer connelly's dad who is like this hot shot hot dude actor guy that her roommate is infatuated you've been to bed with him right yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. he's my fucking dad you weirdo (laughs) yeah there are definitely like crazy lines regarding that as well i'm 15 he's an adult (laughs) what (laughs) yeah Again, I like the idea of just being out of your element, and I think that's something that works well in many of Argento's movies, going back to James's point, like Deep Red features a British guy in Italy 
unraveling this mystery. Suspiria is an American in Germany unraveling this mystery. Inferno is technically all set in New York, but definitely not New York. And then it like jumps to Rome as well. Like it's kind of all over, but also features Americans unraveling this mystery. Like there's a lot of that. And that idea of being like out of your element, not knowing your surroundings, not knowing the culture, feeling out of place and feeling isolated. And that really shows through in this movie because she is basically alone at this school. She can't relate to any of the other girls to the point where she literally like dips out every fucking night to go hang out with Donald fucking Pleasance and his and monkey. And study insects. <laughs> yeah. So that whole aspect of just feeling isolated and by yourself is definitely something that is relatable even though this movie's premise is bananas. Well, and then you have a killer stalking the school, which by the way, like this serial killer doesn't do a good job. Like puts all her bodies like in it. I just ruined the surprise. It's a her, by the way. <laughs> um, puts all the bodies like nearby. Staff member of the school killing in the same place. It sounds like she's been killing for a while now. But at the same time, like no one really seems to be doing a great job in like actually investigating this. Well, it's also not made clear like which one of the. Okay, so again, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Also, her deformed Patel syndrome child rape baby is also killing people. Which, talk about another kind of, like, outdated, weird, like, thing. Like, child by rape being evil. Yeah. But this is, like, so fucking ridiculous, so I guess it's a jump scare, but, like, there's a scene where the setup is actually pretty creepy. Later on in the movie where Jennifer is, like, in the killer's lair and running around, she hears a child crying, and, like, you've heard this child throughout the movie, and, like, the killer references him of being, like, her son. And Daria Nicolodi keeps referring to, like, oh, my young son, my son who's here with me i live with my son but you never fucking see this son so he like she finally gets to this room and it's a creepy setup like it's that trope where like creepy kid because it's in a fucking dungeon it's in like yeah. the murder dungeon there is like a weird child bedroom the creepy kid is like in the corner facing the wall so you don't see its face crying i know it's like a common horror trope but that setup is always creepy to me and it's crying he has an oral voice he's like uh, help me i'm scared blah 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 <laughs> yeah it's just like i'm scared turns mommy, around help. Me. And it's like a fucking rat-faced, like, <laughs> demon, literally. Creature. And then it just stops talking and becomes, like, full demon monster running after her little goblin. But yeah, you're right. It's hinted that it could be both of them doing the killing. Yeah, there's no delineation on who is doing it. Like, you can assume that maybe the first girl at the beginning, which, by the way, the girl who was killed at the beginning is fucking Dario Argento's daughter from his Fiore. first marriage, Fiore, right? So, not, not only that, Dario Nicolodi, who is is the villain ultimately in this movie. She was married to Argento from Deep Red all the way through to this movie. This is like the year that they finally split and got divorced. So not only does he murder his daughter from his first marriage in the beginning of this movie, but then his now ex-wife is like the villain and gets brutally fucking murdered at the end. By a monkey. That's (laughs) some weird subconscious shit right there. Well, two points on that, actually, because Fiore was in the first Demons movie. Yeah. I forget if she was in the second one or not, but she was in the first one. She becomes a demon and kills her boyfriend. Yeah. And then uh, I always looked at Daria Nicolodi as 
I hate to say it like this, but the better Sherry Moon zombie for Dario Argento. Sure, yeah, yeah. She's like in every one of his movies. It's the same relationship. It's kind of the same vibe as well, which... She does a good job as over-top horror villain, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very operatic and everything, yeah. Well, she's also great in all of his other stuff, too, which, R.I.P., um, she actually just died this past November. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. But yeah, she was cast in Deep Red, and that's kind of where they met. They formed a romantic relationship. His daughter, Asia Argento, was born the following year. But then from there, Daria Nicolodi is definitely like the woman behind the man making a lot of the important decisions. You know, that whole thing that you hear about in Hollywood so much where she fucking co-wrote Suspiria. She co-wrote Suspiria and Inferno and starred in both of those. Again, she like co-wrote that Black Cat movie. So like the entire idea of the three mothers is very very much her fucking bag. Speaking of having family in your movies like that, did he continue to add his daughter from his first marriage like in bit parts? Fiore is in his earlier stuff, but then I think she kind of phases out and goes to school, does her own thing, and is out. But Ozzy Argento definitely like from childhood all the way through to now, like, is in movies, yeah. So, yeah, like, Dari Nicolodi is definitely, like, some of the special sauce behind a lot of that really solid run of shit that Argento had. She was in all of those movies. She co-wrote Suspiria and Inferno. She was very much his kind of creative collaborator for a long time, you know, for the entirety of their marriage, at least. And she was in lots of other good shit. She was in Mario Bava's Shock. She was in Lamberto Bava's Delirium, Luigi Cozy that I mentioned earlier with the Black Cat. She was in this fucking Bananas one, also with Donald Pleasance, called Paganini Horror. She's in Michelle Suave's The Sect, which I mentioned earlier. So she's been in a ton of other good shit. But she is so fucking good in Deep Red. She's kind of David Hemming's Girl Friday reporter sidekick kind of character, but she's so fucking good in that. And this is like very much a complete 180 because she's not in this movie a ton and she's always kind of a background character that you don't suspect but like a lot of Argento movies where there are so many red herrings of who the killer could be this movie even fucking leads you to believe at the very beginning it could be the fucking chimp that murdered the first girl (laughs) because you see this murder and then you see the chimp coming back to Donald Pleasance's home like carrying a fucking scalpel so you're like oh shit did the monkey do this right Yeah. there's so many like red herrings throughout his movies and then when you do get the final review reveal it's like this movie often where like oh that background character that we saw one time is actually the one doing all of this and it all leads back to like their motivation somehow or another yeah and it's one of those real life things where like oftentimes the perpetrator is so far out on their own motives from like what you're kind of thinking just because you're seeing just your narrow point of view yeah and you're not taking into consideration like everything outside of that that's going on and and they do leave her motivations a little open-ended to the point where like one of the things I I did kind of like is I think she actually sort of at first kind of maybe wants to try and have like a bond with Jennifer because like Jennifer's also this outcast who can control insects she doesn't outright murder her because she probably has plenty opportunities in this movie to kill Jennifer but she doesn't 
There's a lot of like villain monologuing where, yeah. okay, you could have just stabbed her by now. Well, and to the point where at the very end, after like Demon Baby tries to kill her and Swarm of Insects kills him and he drowns in the lake. Fucking one of the best jump scares in this movie actually was like when her dad's helper guy shows up to like take her back to America and he just gets fucking beheaded out of nowhere. Oh, it's the best. But to the point where like she beheads him and then traps Jennifer on the ground is about to behead her and gives that little monologue of why didn't I kill you sooner is like kind of one of the lines she says and I took that as she kind of maybe sort of was empathetic with Jennifer because Jennifer was being like fucking tormented by the rest of the school where this woman was the one killing all the people at the school but they leave that open-ended enough to like where that's just kind of more subtext to your point where it's like a lot of red herrings with the actual horror in this movie there is a lot of a hat on a hat on a hat because you have killer going around using various weapons stalking this girl's place you have this girl who has some kind of undefined supernatural ability linked to insects finding dead bodies all over the place then you have a demon child that you know it's hinted at but introduced at the last section of the movie which that last 10 to 15 minutes is like fucking hyperdrive of like <laughs> shit happening and then you have the monkey who may or may not be the killer who winds up being like the one who saves her in the end and kills the serial killer um which if you notice that like jennifer that kind of is a bittersweet ending for her because all her friends are dead the only people she trusted are all dead except for the monkey and that goes back to her only link that is still alive to her is nature between the insects and the monkey yeah but yeah there's just there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie that like you could pick out any one of those little horror subplots and make a full movie out of that but like this movie has like three or four of them and kind of go into something that i'd mentioned earlier where like this movie still has some elements i guess of italian horror where subplots are just dropped the police inspector what <laughs> the fuck happens to the police oh, inspector God, yeah. he's just yeah. still down in the murder dungeon <laughs> chained up just still chained to the wall to this day and like how how did the woman like get away from him because last we saw he was on top of her just raining down blows and knocked her fucking unconscious and then jennifer for some reason ran off i guess she didn't realize it was the police inspector thought he was maybe just another crazy guy and then that's when she confronts the demon kid then he just disappears from this movie <laughs> Yes. Yep, yes. no answers? All right, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there are no answers. Good. Like, it, it is good, what good. it is. Just at the very end, the fucking monkey shows up, deus ex monkina, slashes <laughs> her with the fucking razor blade that it finds in a public park garbage can? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, is that scene one of the ones that are cut out? Because, like, that was a very throwaway scene where the monkey just finds a razor blade in a trash can. <laughs> I can't remember, honestly, but that is definitely one of the best. No, I don't think it was, actually. Wow, really? Yeah. It's like the police inspector thing, like I said before, I think it just goes to this, again, sociological thing, where if you're watching a European film, they expect you to say, this is what happens. If she got away, clearly she got ahead. And that's it. We don't need to talk about the police inspector anymore. He's good to go. <laughs> he's dead, yeah. <laughs> or unconscious. Who knows? But he's not going to be in the rest of the film. We expect you to know that. It's there. Let's drive forward. <laughs> that's just the way I, I looked at that. And that's the way I look at a lot of stuff like that. I was so confused, too, about how, like, towards the beginning of the movie, one of your first introductions of the professor is he's with the police inspector, and I think the police inspector's partner, question mark, talking about, like, the beheaded girl from the beginning and, like, kind of examining using insects like how far along like depending on the type of maggots that are in her skull or whatever how long she's been dead then the police never interact with the professor ever again and then the, there's one scene where like the inspector like goes to that old 
house and does some investigation. But like for a serial killer that's stalking specifically this girl's school, where the fuck is the police presence in this movie besides the one inspector? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no answers on that one. <laughs> yeah, no answers. Yeah, no, I mean, and these are like just minor gripes, and it's more, it, it does fit in the style of uh, Italian horror, I guess. Like, I can't complain too much, and it is entertaining, too. It's like goofy. And that's something that I do, again, I like about Italian horror is that floatiness, that lack of just complete coherence and logic from one thing to the next. That is something that does drive me up the wall in so many other movies, just so many things happening for no reason or jumping from one instance to the next like that does drive me up the wall in so many instances but because everything is so dreamlike and so floaty and so just bananas just shocked at like what am i looking at right now why is this happening i can kind of forgive these movies for that right and Overall, like, just the insane level of weirdness is just not found in other films. Like, it's messy. The non-sequitur dialogue is heavy. The plot lines go all over the place. But that's one thing I love. That's what I told Heather before we started watching it. Was, you absolutely cannot imagine where this movie is ultimately going to go. From the opening death scene to 20 minutes from now to 20 minutes later to the end. There's just no fucking way. Dude, the whole monkey thing was no fucking <laughs> clue that was coming. Yeah, and apparently that monkey... Monkey in real life, Tanga the chimp, was a massive pain in the ass. Oh, really? Yeah, she like <laughs> ran off into the woods while they were filming and they had to shut everything down to like search for her for hours. She seemed so like in the movie, at least, she seemed like so much of a character. Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> Apparently, she bit Jennifer Connolly multiple times. Yeah, like a chimp. <laughs> including <laughs> biting off part of her finger which had to be surgically reattached jesus what the fuck Wow. Now, my Google history is probably going to be a little fucked because <laughs> I was searching. <laughs> Jennifer Connolly's detached finger. <laughs> well, I was searching like Jennifer Connolly hands. <laughs> and I'm sure like somebody at Google is just like, the fuck? Come on, guy. But yeah, just trying to like see like pictures of her hands. And I kept finding pictures of her like with her left hand up or her right hand up. And I was like, wait, is she hiding the other hand? And like, she's got like a weird stumpy finger and and i couldn't quite tell so i don't know how accurate where i read a few times like bit off part of her finger not bit her finger bit off part of her finger <laughs> but looking at like her hands as an adult in the photos that i could find they don't seem to be like super weird so i don't know the veracity of that statement how accurate that statement is but i did find it funny that like the chimp it was apparently like a giant pain in the ass which goes back to the whole like you know if you're making a movie don't ever work with kids or animals thing what about the insects because there are multiple times where they are using real insects and like oh totally Connolly yeah. is holding it in her hand i mean all the insect stuff was all all legit you know it is what it is i mean there's lots of scenes where like there are lots of fake maggots yeah and fake flies being dumped onto people but what about the scene where like all the flies are coming at the window like when she's being accosted by all the other girls in the school that's all fake and that that's what i was yeah. about to say so that is all an optical overlay gotcha of 
fucking coffee grounds being poured into a water tank. That's all it is. That's why they like have that weird floaty kind of look. Oh, that's cool as hell. Yeah. So it's just like somebody dumping a whole fucking thing of coffee grounds into a water tank and them all floating through the water and swirling around. They just took that and then overlaid it onto the actual footage. But at the end where the actor David Murata, who plays the child at the end, the child like officially called Patel because of the Patel syndrome that he suffers from, that was all like actual flies. They fucking incubated on set two million fly eggs and then as soon as they all like went from maggot stage to fly stage, they immediately filmed that scene. They covered him in glucose to attract all the flies and have the flies swarm around him. So that scene is real stunt. They fucking grew two million fucking flies and unleashed them on this dude covered in sugar water. Jesus Christ. Dude, this set must have been a fucking nightmare <laughs> between the monkey running off and yeah. biting people and all these fucking insects sex around yeah totally good thing she had labyrinth after this yeah so. yeah <laughs> and to that point we talked a little bit about one of the cast members already the one who plays the villain in this movie but jennifer conley herself like i mean she needs no introduction but here's a weird aside i think most of us are, are most like casual moviegoers probably the first thing they saw jennifer conley in was labyrinth i know she had like a bit part in once upon a time in america but labyrinth was probably the big one uh if you're a horny teenager from the 90s you probably remember that seen in career opportunities where she's on the horse but the weird thing with jennifer conley that i always associate in my mind for some dumb fucking reason because for the longest time it really was labyrinth like that's what i just remember her in but actually anytime i think of jennifer conley now think of 2005's dark water which was an american remake of a japanese horror movie and that was in that mid-aughts run that i mean hell we just talked about it with lauren on our uh, exorcism emily rose like that run where i started falling out of horror myself and a part of it was due to like all these American remakes that were not great in my opinion, torture porn movies and all this stuff. And I remember going to see Dark Water in theaters, hyped because like I did like the American version of The Ring. And then Dark Water, at least at the time when I saw it, was extremely disappointing. But I do remember yeah. one of the only bright spots in that movie was Jennifer Conley's performance to the point where it still kind of sticks out in my head. Yeah, I have a weird relationship with that movie as well because that was one where my dad and I were touring colleges in 2005 and we were like at some fucking school in the middle of nowhere there was nothing to do in that town and he was just like fuck it let's go see a movie what do you want to see and there was nothing playing that I was interested in we both were just like fuck it let's see this dark water movie like my dad is not into horror I was into horror not interested in it and we both just head in hands like the entire time like when is this fucking gonna be over you know so like that's the only time I've ever seen that movie and maybe I need to revisit it but yeah same thing I was like oh yeah I forgot about this fucking movie <laughs> i really want to see the japanese film that came out in 2002 it's good yeah, yeah and like it's based off of a short story by the person who wrote the ring trilogy so like you know that's pretty cool yeah i do want to see the japanese version and maybe down the line like when we're on like episode 200 or something we can do dark water it does have a weird part in my history with horror movies because it was like one of the last horror movies i watched before katrina struck sure after katrina struck i went through that drought of like i'm done with horror for right now 
now. Yeah. But yeah, Connolly was in a ton of other stuff. I mean, she was in like The Rocketeer and Dark City in the 90s, yeah. which are both super fucking fun. Of course, Ass to Ass, she was in Requiem for a Dream. She won Best Actress for fucking A Beautiful Mind, which that movie is not fucking good, but she's one of the better things about that movie. Oh, and I'm glad she won that award based off of her line of work. You know, she probably yeah. needs an award. Well, <laughs> sure. I would go to bat that she's way better in a few years in House of Sand and Fog and Little Children and Reservation Road. All three of those are better performances than fucking A Beautiful Mind. Oh, yeah. She was in the remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still, which Scott Derrickson directed, and we just brought him up on our Exorcism of Emily Rose episode. And then lots of low-key drama stuff from there. She was recently the voice of Karen, which is the evolution of Jarvis, the AI voice in Spider-Man Homecoming, um, which is fun because she's married to Paul Bettany in real life, who is the voice of Jarvis and his vision in the Marvel movies. But she's taken some, like, wild fucking swings now. Like, she was in Alita Battle Angel, and she's the villain in this fucking Snowpiercer TV show that they came out with, like, two years ago. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. On fucking TNT, by the way. Yeah, and then she's also about to be in Top Gun. So yeah. she's taken some, like, like wild shit roles now. James, what do you associate Jennifer? What movie do you usually associate Jennifer Connelly with? Like, what was your first experience with her? And then, like, when you think of Jennifer Connelly, what's the first movie that kind of like sticks in your mind? I mean, honestly, not to be cliche, it would be Labyrinth. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, there's, but that's not really <laughs> yeah. that cliche because, like, that movie it was such a big part of all our childhoods. Honestly, it's whenever I think of her and whenever I think of Bowie. Honestly, when in a weird way, because that was really my first exposure to Bowie. Period. As a child, was Labyrinth. That's really where I go to. After that, it goes to The Rocketeer, Career Opportunities, and then uh, Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. In literally that order. Yeah. I watched Labyrinth a lot growing up, but I definitely had a huge crush on Jennifer Connelly and The Rocketeer, for sure. Oh, yeah. I crushed on Jennifer Connelly and Dark Water, if I'm being honest, because I saw it when I was a teenager. <laughs> it's interesting, because I'm wondering now if anytime I think of Jennifer Connelly, I'll picture this movie, because like, it was Labyrinth and it was Dark Water. Now I'm wondering if it's going to be this movie because like this is a pretty ridiculous standout lead role like i'm glad that like all right let's start let's go there like how was this movie received specifically in the states because she went on to become a superstar but like if this it was a huge hit here it was okay because like this is a weird fucking movie that's what i was kind of saying creepers when it came out here and in the uk it was a huge hit but creepers here it got a theatrical release and it was like really the last argento movie to get a significant theatrical release but it was massive on VHS. I remember seeing it in the VHS store. I rented it growing up. I didn't realize, oh, this was the number three fucking VHS rental of the year that it came out behind. It was like 85, 86 so it would have been behind some big shit like Nightmare on Elm Street. Back to the Future and Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff like that but it, it was like the number three rented VHS in the country which is fucking bananas. It'd be wild, you know, with this being your first big lead role movie, and it's this movie. Like, I just was curious as to, like, that that makes a lot more sense, because, like, Connolly did go on to have, like, this amazing, still is having this amazing career. Going back a little bit to, like, all of us associating her with Labyrinth, something I did read when I was, like, looking stuff up about her, like, filmography and everything. How her and Paul Bettany got together is kind of an interesting thing, because it all is, like, kind of around 9-11. But, like, one of the things that Paul Bettany said is that, like, he had a crush on her 
and Lenny saw her in Labyrinth, like a teenage crush on her too. So it's like, yeah, we all know, bro. Like <laughs> you're the lucky guy, I guess. But but yeah, no, like it, it, it is interesting that she, I don't want to even say forgettable, but she is like a big part of our childhoods, at least when it comes to movie watching that isn't brought up that often beyond like, because when you, when you think of Labyrinth, you always go to David Bowie. But like, no, Jennifer Conley is like a huge part of that movie. Yeah. So to sidestep a little bit, the other major character in this is the fucking scientist guy. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Played by yeah. Donald Pleasance. And this was kind of at the peak of his career. And he's been at fuck ton of stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, so he has over 200 film credits and here's just the fucking horror and kind of genre related stuff. So he did The Flesh and the Fiends, which is like a Birkin hair gothic horror thing with Peter Cushing, The Hands of Orlac, which is the like typical like, oh, somebody gets the hands of a killer transplanted onto their body and they murder people. He was in the fucking Great Escape. He's in Cul-de-Sac, Fantastic Voyage. He's literally fucking Blofeld and You Only Live Twice. He's in George Lucas's THX 1138, which is his first major movie. Wake and Fright, which is one of the like pinnacle Australian exploitation movies. One of Gary Sherman's early movies, Raw Meat, aka Deathline. To Disney movies, he was in fucking Escape to Witch Mountain. The Last Tycoon, The Eagle Has Landed. And then of course, fucking Halloween, you know, and that was a massive thing. And he was in every fucking Halloween movie from that point on as Dr. Loomis. That's kind of the role that he is absolutely most known for at this point. If anybody thinks of Donald Pleasance, that's kind of the first thing that pops in his head is like him in the trench coat as Dr. Loomis. He was in Dracula. He's in Escape from New York as the fucking president. (laughs) He's in Alone in the Dark, The Devonsville Terror, Prince of Darkness, which we might be covering soon. Wink, wink. He was in Paganini Horror that I just mentioned, Buried Alive, and then finally, Halloween 6, Curse of Michael Myers. That's just his horror shit. He's in so many other fucking movies. So he was kind of the big, major, like, established player. And Daria Nicolodi is kind of the third lead there where, you know, again, people who knew, like, Italian horror and knew foreign stuff knew Daria Nicolodi. But she wasn't, like, a mainstream name in the States. You know, so Pleasance kind of was the big draw for a lot of the, like, UK and U.S. and English-speaking crowd, and then obviously Jennifer Connelly was kind of the new rising star. How about the uh, headmistress? Because, like, she seems like she's been in a lot of stuff. She had that air of experience, I guess. I didn't look her up specifically, but a lot of the other people have been in other Italian horror and exploitation movies. A lot of women, specifically, that you tend to find in these movies are, like, either models or they were TV actresses that kind of crossed over for like one or two things and then like you never see them again for anything else i don't want to interrupt you but i did just kind of do a quick search on her the headmistress played by dalila de lazara oh i'm probably completely butchering that but (laughs) totally was an italian model just like you said yeah okay (laughs) she actually has been in a lot of stuff up until even 2015 but uh, a lot of it seems to be uh italian or foreign films yeah keep in mind too i guess this is also as italian 
in air quotes, cinema as a whole was kind of starting to fucking collapse a little bit. Like the entire industry was starting to kind of fall apart because of the economy in the country at the time. More and more and more like Italian movies kind of start to become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And there's more international collaborations that happen. And then eventually you end up having a lot of these Italian directors where it's kind of the opposite of the 60s and 70s where there's a lot of US and UK stars jumping to Italy to make movies. Now you have a lot of Italian directors who are jumping to these other countries to make movies because they can't really get a whole lot of funding in the Italian industry. On that note, the other weird little cameo that I noticed who I keep seeing him pop up in shit, the director, Michel Suave, who did fucking Demons, The Church, and The Sect. He's one of the two detectives at the beginning of this movie that's interviewing Donald Pleasance. And he's like somebody that I keep seeing him pop up in all these Italian movies, because all these guys like knew and kind of worked with each other in the same circles and bounced back and forth working on each other's movies. So he's somebody that I keep seeing pop up. He's shown up in a lot of shit. Literally from about roughly 82-ish in Italian horror all the way up through the 80s. And it, yeah. to me, he has a very distinctive look yeah as opposed to some of the other ones so it's just like like oh shit there's him again oh there and, and yeah he just pops up in everything and I, I made a mistake a second ago i said he directed demons he did not that's a bava lumberto brava yeah but he's in it as the weird creepy guy in the trench coat with half of his fucking face <laughs> covered in the metal demon mask who like gives out the tickets to the movie theater about shit that needs plot hole explanations <laughs> yeah who's that guy where did he come from and i think he also like maybe co-wrote or like co-produced it or co-directed it or something but he was he was involved in those lots of like weird back and forth with all those guys um as far as like working on each other's movies ultimately argento like from the moment that this movie came out was supposedly developing a sequel because again this movie was very personal to him and he still claims that it's his favorite movie that he's worked on right he said that he has been developing a sequel to this and production was planned for early 2001 but he had to cancel it because of like studio contract disputes and he was set to go work on some other picture please tell me he wants to get jennifer Connolly back as an adult that would be badass look i'm all for it i would be too that'd be so good as bad as his recent output has been and when i say bad i mean like let me send you the fucking clip from dracula 3d with the like giant green mantis snapping somebody's head off and it's like the most shitty like i could make this on my phone cgi wait you're you're saying that's a bad thing <laughs> <laughs> he's not made anything good in a while i'll be down to see a fucking bananas sequel to this now with jennifer connelly now <laughs> like you know i i doubt there is any fucking way she would come back for a continuation of this but that would be great and i would be all about it dude you never know she's taken some wild swings and in a lot of ways this movie is kind of yeah. what like helped her take off so yeah that would be fucking bananas. As long so. as it's not Mother of Tears caliber. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get that time back at all. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's why I'm so happy I found the Black Cat. Because the Black Cat is just as much tied into that overall Three Mothers story as Suspiria and Inferno were. It's not as good on a technical level. It's definitely cheaper. And it's not quite as what the fuck crazy kills and everything else but it's a better fucking conclusion to that story than mother of tears i will say that 
like I never want to revisit that fucking movie. I, I honestly think, and I've said this about a lot of the older directors when they were coming into Masters of Horror when it was on Showtime. Yeah. His, I believe it was called, oh shit, I think it was called Jennifer, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. His episode of uh, Masters of Horror, that particular one, I believe he did two, but that one, it wasn't super great, but it was a metric shit ton better than everything, yeah, from about opera on. Yeah. It could go into that pre-89 chunk versus everything after that, because I, I remember, I bought the Mother of Tears outright. That's a oof. And I was like, oh shit, Mother of Tears, finally got to see it, and I watched it, and I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. And it was full price DVD, like $20, so I was just like, well, why? Yeah, and those fucking foreign movies at the time were not cheap. They were like those fairly expensive Anchor Bay ones, yeah. Yeah. So, oof. Yeah, I've made that mistake a few times. I uh, <laughs> definitely bought fucking Anthropophagus. Oh, yeah, Because that I saw that sitting on the shelf at Best Buy, and I was like, oh, wait, this guy is fucking eating his own guts? What? And that's the most fucking boring movie ever. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. That is the curse of, like, being a horror junkie is just chasing that dragon constantly and anything that looks fucking weird. Okay, what is this? I gotta investigate. And seven out of ten times, it's usually not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, chasing a dragon, yeah, much like drug addiction. Yeah. Like, oh, shit, what is this? Oh, I've never heard of this. And then you get it and you're like, well, what the fuck? So it sounds like, just from my limited knowledge, it sounds like for every Suspiria, there's seven other Mother of Tears, I guess. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Italian horror is definitely one of those holes that you can fall down where there's a lot of just really cheaply made, really quickly made no thought put into the acting, no thought put into the storytelling, like, zero effort trying to capitalize on, like, the craze, right? Like, there's just so many fucking movies that are that. So you have to dig to find the good ones beyond the poster few. That's what I enjoyed about Phenomena, is that at first it might feel like it's a cheap movie, but no, it there's a lot of effort. I don't know how, like, how cheap it actually was to make, but it doesn't feel cheap by the end of the movie, yeah. even though the makeup effects with that demon kid are fucking bananas ridiculous <laughs> it also feels genuine and like a lot of effort is being put into it despite the fact that it has all this weirdness of like a girl who controls insects and a monkey killing people and demon kid <laughs> it still feels like there's effort being put into it and there is at least hints of a decent budget <laughs> yeah yeah I-, I will say this between the italians and the french yeah you'll get one you'll have about six or seven just fucking bombs and then you'll have a masterpiece the germans i have yet to run across a masterpiece it's just been like why the fuck am i watching this god what even is german horror i can't even like i think i'll agree with that as well i don't know that i've seen a german horror movie that i thought was any good and i think it's maybe because they generally stay away from it as a subgenre. i just don't see a ton of german horror at all and what i do see is not good the best way to describe it would be in musical terms so let's say you have hard rock you have guns and roses and metallica so that's gonna be your french and italian they're gonna be really good shit let's use guns and roses you're gonna have appetite for destruction you're awesome then you're gonna have the spaghetti incident 
Dead. Yeah. <laughs> then with German horror, it's like only Guar. And you have to like Guar. You have to embrace Guar. But if you don't like Guar, you're going to be like, what the fuck is this? And why am I here? So, like, most notably, and I saw it based on a review from Cinema Snob years ago. There's actually a franchise called Violent Shit in Germany. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> I watched the first violent shit film and it's precisely what it was. It was just violent shit and nonsensical story. If that. And you're just like, well, what the fuck? Then the antagonist has an alien baby. And when I say alien, like a chest burster, <laughs> that, it's just, yeah, that's all I can really say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's wild shit. So they, they haven't cracked the code yet for their own, their own voice and horror. No. No, 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 no. Yeah, I haven't really seen anything that I can think of that made my list ever, really. All right, cool, cool. Well, um, do we have any final thoughts on Phenomena? I'll say, uh, and I'll, I'll just repeat, and that was what Derek mentioned earlier, if you're trying to get into horror and you're getting into Italian horror, you want to try to take that plunge, this is the easiest, softest way to start. Yeah, yeah. There's not going to be any super, super, super holy shit moments. There's not going to be any types of things that you really need to just sit there and interpret for an extended amount of time. There's shit you have to interpret, but at the same time, there's stuff you're not going to need to be like, well, what the fuck does this mean? It's not super deep. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's surface level stuff. The linearity between this and the beyond is like night and day. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. this yeah, is way more straightforward. Is. To the point where, again, Took me aback that Motorhead and Iron Maiden both cut out the Goblin soundtrack, which I was digging, and then came in. And I do like Iron Maiden and Motorhead, especially the second time Iron Maiden comes in and completely unnecessary for those scenes. Well, I'll say, you know what? In Demons, there's the rock punk drug crew that just stole a BMW and they're driving around the city. That shows up 50 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> the group that actually they started off that was in the car playing when they're driving on their first scene is fucking go west King of Wishful Thinking, Pretty Woman soundtrack, why the fuck are punk super car thieves doing a Coke can with either heroin or cocaine in it, <laughs> listening to yep. fucking Go West, driving around Berlin, Cold War Berlin, doing that. <laughs> Hell yeah. I think those random musical moments, yeah, that's another Argento bleed off. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, again... Monkey going around being a helper, then going on a fucking revenge mission to like avenge like his 
his owner, his bud, girl who has telepathic psychic powers with insects, demon child, problematic, just showing up 15 minutes in, police inspectors just teleporting out of the movie, clock tower, scissors man type kills, woman who's beheads that guy randomly at, at the end, fucking awesome. Yeah, great movie. <laughs> but all of that said, all that said, and that's, I think, one of my main goals with this show, since this started as like a thing for me and you to like explore horror and me to like get you into horror movies this is not a movie that you would have ever like really stumbled across on your own all things considered Fuck no <laughs> in the same way you would have never like you would have never known about clock tower and sure exactly so like this is kind of a perfect synergy in that sense yeah that's the stuff that i want more people to see stuff like this like i, I want our listeners to like cash in a fucking week free of shutter and watch this fucking movie. Well, I'm glad we didn't go into like this or even the beyond for that matter in the first fucking 10 episodes. Like, I'm glad you, you, you need, need some warm up to like this. But, <laughs> but I mean, hey, if you want to like jump headfirst into the deep end, make this your first real horror movie, be my guest. It's a great movie, in my opinion. Fucking insane, but yeah, great. <laughs> well, hey, um, one more shout out for uh, the girl with the BG shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. She's an integral part of the story yeah it's fucking good shit i would totally wear that shirt now even hell yeah cool cool well let's go ahead and call it there we are watch if you dare horror movie podcast where we talk about insane bat shit like this and uh just generally gush talk about some themes you know a little bit of everything how scary these movies are for newbies like myself and fanatics like you aaron and james of course once again thank you james for coming back on for this batshit insanity as always it is always a great time talking with you and discussing horror we're gonna get you on for just anytime we do italian horror or horror that's kind of like italian horror <laughs> just, you'll be our italian horror guest oh wow i have a subject matter i mean put it this way i don't know personally anybody else that's as into it as i am so it kind of works from that standpoint you know now that like maybe life is getting back to normal we can get out there again and hang out with people i don't know like maybe i'll actually in my fucking 30s make some friends where i live in this fucking city where i don't know anybody this year who knows but that is what i've always appreciated about you james and all of our conversations at work is just you and i know the weird corners of horror and so it's always a pleasure to uh discuss them with you it's always a pleasure to talk about it just to know that i'm not alone <laughs> yep <laughs> yes so anyway yeah thanks a bunch for coming on again and uh we will see more of you in the future for sure no problem you can find us on apple Podbean, Podchaser, Spotify, Google again. Oh, and apparently we have to start saying follow us, ah. not subscribe anymore because all the fucking uh, podcatchers are changing from subscribe because that's associated with like having to pay for something. And so far we haven't made a cent from this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully this ages well and we are making money in the future. But yeah, so you can follow us at all the Podchasers. Please rate and review us on there especially on apple and Podchaser. shout out to your little brother jesse mansfield aka party gator on Bandcamp. he's also has a band called opossums and a bunch of other projects 
He does our bumps at the beginning and ends of each episode. You can follow us uh, on socials at Watch If You Dare on Twitter and Facebook. We're probably a lot more interactive on Twitter, if I'm being honest. But uh, we still post our new episodes on Facebook. And then please check out our Spotify music playlist, which is linked on our Podbean website and pinned at the top of our Twitter. If you want to like listen to some horror-influenced music, um, we're on and off adding stuff to it as we go on. And I think that's about it. Aaron, you got anything else? Nope, that is it for now. Um, We are, again, still banking episodes for Babby's imminent arrival. So some of the things in this episode might be a little bit dated. Don't worry, you are not listening to things out of order. But we will be taking a break pretty soon. And, of course, episodes are going to be dropping regularly. They'll just seem a little bit off in that sense. Um, But please stick with us. Um, We definitely have some great shit lined up. Um, We've got some good plans for later this year as well. So, you know, we will certainly be here. We will just be kind of taking a break from like current recording. So all that said, please continue to hang out with us and chat on Twitter and everything else. So uh, we will we will be here with you. And with that, hey, James, Aaron, did you know that the Bible refers to the devil as Beelzebub, which means the Lord of the Flies? Look at Sally, the lady of the flies. (laughs) 